0: You're watching the TechNATO podcast. It's week 20. We're going to talk about uh, Intel processors. We've got Windows 10 and Windows Server 2019 updates that have come about and other news from around the world. Uh, big topic this week is going to be email, PGP security, and what you need to know about the EFail exploit that was released this week. Lots of buzz talking on that. So if that's interesting to you, stay tuned right here for week 20 on the TechNATO podcast. All right, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to TechNATO, the podcast brought to you by IT Pro TV, where we take a look at the news, what's happening, and other technology information going on around the technology scene. I am your host, Don Pezet. Uh, I was out last week. I apologize for that. Peter uh, and, and Daniel Lowry filled in for me, which I appreciate. This week, we've got Peter out, right, yes. our, our rotating podcast host. So, Wes, uh, Brian was was yeah. thankfully willing to join me and be ridiculed on the
1: <laughs> Absolutely, man. I'll take one for the team. It's great to be here.
0: Wes, thanks for coming on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just looking forward to a lot of the stuff we have to talk about. It's actually been a quiet news week, which is is usually scary in the IT world, but we have had so much stuff going on this year that I'm not surprised at some point we had to have a bit of a lull. But there were some good things going on in the tech industry, so we're going to see those and run through them uh, as always. And, and remember, if there's anything out there happening that you want us to talk about, uh, you know, make sure that you reach out to us through our social media channels. You can always tweet us, uh, Facebook us. Yeah, I Facebook know, whatever page, crazy yeah, absolutely. We got it all. <laughs> whatever social media methodology you can use to reach out to us, uh, certainly do so. We'd love to hear from the viewers that are out there. Definitely. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's jump into our news. And uh, because Peter's not here, I get to pick the order of the articles, <laughs> and I oh. choose to start with Linux today. So, uh, so we're going to jump right off with CentOS 7 release 1804 is out, which doesn't sound terribly significant. But... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually a couple of months ago now, we announced that Red Hat Enterprise Linux, or RHEL 7.5, came out. And there's always a bit of lead time between when RHEL updates and when CentOS and all the other derivative distros get updated. So now that update is out. If you are running CentOS 7.4 and you've been dying to get a hold of some of the new things that came out in RHEL 7.5, now is your chance. It's a uh, it's a major release. You know, I shouldn't say it's major. It's not like we went to CentOS 8, right? right. Uh, but as far as sub-releases go, it's pretty significant. They added a lot of interesting things, uh, increased stability. It is a, a long-term support model, uh, so definitely one that uh, you know a lot of people will leverage out there. So if you've been waiting on it, it is now done. And since CentOS 7.5, or I want to call it 7.5, <laughs> and they chose not to do that. They just called it a build 1804. Uh, but since it is now done... You'll start to see some of the other things like Scientific Linux is also uh, coming out. Uh, Amazon will update their Linux AMI. And so you'll start seeing more and more of them coming along. So if you run CentOS, definitely check that out. And and the article here that I'm I'm referencing is from uh, Pharonix, where they have a ton of great Linux news where you can stay on top of it. Uh, but definitely... Something to
1: see. Any kind of features? Like, uh, what are they? Is it bug fixes? You say stability and stuff? What kind yeah, of features do we uh, have? You know,
0: a, a lot of it was uh, the new kernel, and actually, uh, in a microscopic font here, they have what's it's mm-hmm. kind of new. Um, the the big features, it, it all mirrors what we announced back when Rel 7.5 was out. Uh, so GNOME was updated to 3.28. Uh, there were a few other tweaks to the installer that happened. They rolled out some uh, uh, virtualization additions. So, like, mm-hmm. the newest virtual box, the virtualization... Uh, integrations were built into the kernel. The uh, the Linux kernel, and I, I don't want to speak out of hand here, I believe it's 4.14 now, and I was hoping to just spot that really quick <laughs> as I glanced across this crazy page, but I don't see it anymore. Uh, so so anyhow, there's uh, there's that. Uh, they Wow, they sum up the major changes in one little sentence? That's not really... <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, they do exactly what I'm saying right here, which is, yeah, check out the Rel 7.5 release notes. Oh, so. There you go. So anyhow, so those are some of the big things, and and you know, we we uh, announced that a few months back. But the main things were the new kernel, which means new stability. Mm-hmm. For me, the GNOME update was a big deal. Uh, you know that that Are you a helped. GNOME flavor guy? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Over KDE. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. and they've been a bit behind on handling high DPI mm-hmm. monitor stuff, and that. That's been across a number of UIs, uh, so that's been getting better and better with each one. Mm-hmm.
1: I think I've talked to you before, and there is like there's, there is some of the uh, interfaces that you don't particularly care for, so you're a known yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> and when I say don't particularly care for, I mean disdain. Yeah, <laughs> and It's not like I pick favorites, right, Wes? No, it's, not at all. Never. Yeah. Never. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, everybody's got their own little thing. You know, what's kind of funny, Don, is that uh, the uh, Linux or uh, the the CentOS update eighteen oh four? It's it's one better than the new Windows up creator update. Oh which yeah, is which 1803. is eighteen oh three. So they wanted to be just one. Uh, I don't know, did huh. better? Are they measuring from the same release date? I don't know. Hopefully not. I wonder. Uh, I, you, with, CentOS is a service. Yeah, we'll see how that works. Well, with Microsoft,
0: <laughs> their their build numbers are however many days it's been since what is it since like DOS came out or something right yeah
1: I think that's what it is the internal build version yeah and
0: so every every day that increments by one I I Mm. don't know what CentOS is using for their number um no now I'm curious I need to look it up I don't know maybe
1: the Mayan calendar or something yeah it's it's
0: (laughs) built around something you know when when the founder of Red Hat bought a Gremlin or something oh perfect (laughs) (laughs) all right well that's about all we've got going on on the, the Linux front. Uh, there, there were actually a couple other interesting things that happened in the Linux world. For example, there's been a high-visibility GNOME bug that has uh, been a memory leak that's been out of control. The uh, team at Ubuntu, since they've switched back to GNOME as their primary UI, actually put some dollars into it and managed to solve that memory leak. So Very that, good, that yeah. affects you. Uh, something to be aware of. That, that'll that trickle out to the other distros in the near future, but hasn't yet. All right, uh, a fun story, and, and this... This really, I guess, could have been our WTF article of the week, just like the crazy tech thing. Um, Google rolled out a new AI feature uh, over the last
1: couple of weeks. Wes, did you hear about this one? With no, the... I haven't. I've just been paying attention to the one in Azure, you know, cognitive learning services, machine learning, and AI. So I, if you're a fan of the podcast,
0: you know I am sick and tired of hearing about artificial intelligence <laughs> yeah. and machine learning and so on. Uh, and, I, and I've said multiple times that when I pick up the phone and I call a company, I hate it when a robot answers, mm-hmm. and I've got to press one for this menu and press two for that menu. You're, you're interacting with a, a robot, and it's very painfully obvious that you're doing it. Well, Google has Google Duplex. It's an AI system, and they call it Duplex because it operates two ways, like oh. while you're talking— It can be responding and calculating answers, and and it can actually interrupt you while you're talking, which is a very human thing to do. Yeah. And and so it gives you a a more human experience. And they felt that it was so accurate that they actually activated it and and started using it in some of their internal systems. So people were calling into Google, which— when I first heard about this, I thought it was all lies because when mm-hmm. they said people call Google, I said that's not possible. Like, <laughs> Google Google doesn't listen to customers; yes. you can't call them. <laughs> but but uh, but you would get these robots, and it wouldn't tell you. It wouldn't tell you that it was a robot. And some people got a little freaked out because it's it's like the the Turing tests, you know, where yeah, you might be able to pass the test, but you can still tell it's not a, a regular person on the other end. Uh, and here it was kind of really weird.
1: So it doesn't matter if it's a bot messaging service, AI machine learning. You hear you hear, a, you hear a, a, an automated voice. You're like, no, I don't need your product. Right? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> what what
0: I've started to do, and I don't know about you, is it, when I get one of those menus... I hit uh, zero. Well, so I had to call my, my fiber... Modem is it called a modem when you have fiber at home? The, uh, I, th- I think it still whatever is. Whatever the yeah. terminal connector yeah. is there, um, that that device died at, at my house the other day, and so I had to call AT and T for service, mm-hmm. and I got one of those robots. And when it says, uh, you know, what department would you like? I just immediately say, speak to a representative. There you go. <laughs> and, yep. and then it says, well, to better help you, we need to know whatever, and I say, speak to a representative. Like that, that's just what I say, and and I don't want to I don't want to mess around with menus. So uh, with this though, if if I didn't know it was a robot if I thought it was a person then maybe I would talk to it and then I'd I'd feel dirty for having talked to a robot.
1: I'm pretty rebellious <laughs> when I get one of those systems I see how many buttons I can break until it gives up on me and it actually just switches me right over to a live person there. <laughs> well, how many times can you hit star in a conversation until it'll give up? So here
0: here's what Google's intent was. They wanted to make it where let's say that you wanted to book an appointment, uh, book a, a reservation at a restaurant. Okay, but you didn't want to actually call the restaurant. Mm-hmm. You could punch into your phone, hey, I want to book a reservation. And then the Google duplex would call the restaurant for you and talk to a person and book the reservation. And then it would just show up on your calendar. You would never know that there was actually human interaction that happened somewhere on the back end. Uh, and the restaurant wouldn't necessarily know that it was a robot calling. It would just get a call. And so they released I, – I, I, I seriously doubt I can make this play well in the uh, – uh, in my microphone, but they they released a, a sound clip of this, and um, oh yeah, we're not not gonna be able to hear that, are we? Yeah, well, anyhow, they they released a sound clip of it of, of this robot talking and basically telling you exactly what this would sound like booking a, a salon a p- appointment or whatever, and there was just global outrage. People went nuts. <laughs> like you cannot have these robots calling us, and uh, and so Google ended up having to pull all this back. It uh, and, and sounds they, like
1: they're afraid Skynet's going to go like, self-aware or something.
0: Well, it made me think of uh, Google Glasses. Okay. Right? Remember yeah. when those came oh, out? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I never had them. Did you ever get No, no, no. So I thought they looked really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, wow, you know, you, you could have it right here, and it's like a computer screen, and you could check your email and ignore your mom, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. That, that, that's perfect. Um, but people, like, just socially— hated it. Mm-hmm. And and if people saw somebody wearing Google glasses, they immediately hated that person. And, and it, it kind of backfired. I think this stunt backfired as well.
1: I'd definitely be socially and awkward looking like having two pairs of glasses on because of the fact that I already have glasses. You know, I, it, it wouldn't fit for me too.
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> well you know, I get it um, w- with Apple Watches. OK, right? sure. sure. Uh, you don't have a smartwatch? watch. I don't either. Uh, but you're, you're talking to somebody mm-hmm. and they get an email. And what do they do? They look at the wrist. Yep. To see what the email is. Well, I'm thinking, oh, they're in a hurry to get somewhere, or they don't want to hear what I'm saying, right. which in a way they don't if they're checking their email, I guess. So <laughs> so anyhow, this was it on, on a larger scale. So uh, Google's uh, AI blog, they have a good write-up on it. Uh, it's, it's worth a read. Uh, but they, they set out with the best of intentions, and it ended up uh, just kind of exploding. So it'll be the next
1: Google Glass. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it already is. It already is. Which, which the, you know, they're trying to relaunch the Google Glass stuff, uh, which is fun, because then we can just take all the old stuff we used to make fun of it and reuse it. They just reuse so, it, yeah, yeah making our jobs better. easier. Now, what will actually happen is next year, Apple will release their glasses, yeah. and it'll be revolutionary, and people will think it's great. It'll just be magic. So, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, next news article, we have impending doom. All right. Uh, this is always fun to report yep. on. Armageddon the end uh, of the Internet. The Internet is scheduled to die on June 11th. Right. Uh, the net neutrality rules in the United States will officially be repealed on June 11th. Now, what does that mean to us? Well, if you're in the U.S., it actually does mean something. If you're outside Mm -hmm. of the U.S., it actually doesn't mean all that much, Mm -hmm. so it's not that big of a deal. Inside of the U.S., it means that as of June 11th, the rules will be pulled back, and ISPs will officially be able to throttle, Throttle, restrict, and charge extra for bandwidth however they choose. Sure. The reality is most of them do not have systems in place for that, so June 11th will probably fizzle. It'll be
1: like Y2K. Okay, yeah, it'll come, okay. it'll go, and then all of a sudden the calendar, uh, the date on the calendar changes, and we're just as good as we were yesterday. Yeah, a couple of things break. Yeah. I, do you remember, like, where were you? I know exactly Y2K? where I was. I was in Oldsmar, Florida. We were at a barbecue <laughs> right down there when it happened. I remember being waiting, and the clock ticked. And we're like, well, the cars we still hear are yeah. moving, we still see planes going over, so we must be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, that's kind of how this would be uh, in the beginning. Now,
0: right. it, it could turn out to be horrible, and two years from now, we're, you know it, it's like the old time long distance, where you're paying 25 cents per megabyte mm-hmm. <laughs> as you try and get to a website. Uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but uh, but June 11th is that official date, so it'll be interesting to to follow and see what's going on there. Um, I could report on the number of different agencies that are working to stop this, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really matter um, because they can't stop it. Like, it will happen. So what will have to happen is new laws will have to get passed, and we're at least a year out for those. So we'll, we'll hear more about that when it's a little more
1: relevant. Now, do you think um, they're going to start, I mean, in your opinion, and I know that behind the scenes you've uh, built a lot of networks, you know, are you think they're going to start, like, trending on your information or something and then saying, okay, well, I know that you're watching a lot of Netflix or Hulu. We could see a lot of that streaming content and then start throttling you potentially based on that, or is this just going to be more like a, uh, I don't know, shared node by shared node, like a cluster of people within a community or something? Yeah, you,
0: know? you know, what I think will happen, and, and you know, who am I? right? Yeah, so, sure, so sure, whatever. But uh, I think it'll end up being like the mobile providers, right? Okay. Uh, Verizon did this a few years ago. I know T-Mobile does it as well, where uh, if you fire up on your phone Netflix and you start to watch a movie, right, mm-hmm. you're not getting the straight-up full quality of video from Netflix that Verizon and T-Mobile intercept that traffic. And at might do it also. I'm not trying to pick on one provider mm-hmm. over oh, another. Sure, sure. Uh, they intercept that video, and they reduce the quality of it because they know you're watching on a cell phone. You don't need... 4K video on a cell phone. And they So they, they scale it down to 720p or even smaller, uh, or they at least lower the bit rate from okay, yeah. five megabit down to one megabit bitrate, which honestly, most people can't tell the difference. Uh, and I'm saying most people, because I know some of you guys are video files out right, there and yep. you're probably oh, I know. Uh, I can't tell the difference. Gotcha. So they reduce the quality. So it takes some of the burden off of their wireless network, right? And then they send it down to you. So they're kind of manipulating that traffic. And- I wouldn't be surprised to start seeing that. Like, you know, at home, I I have gigabit fiber, Mm -hmm. right? That doesn't mean I get a gigabit of bandwidth all the time. Right. You're still sharing your piece of the pie. And I'll bet we start to see packages where they say, like, hey, here's the value package. And mm-hmm. if you do this, yeah, we do content throttling, we reduce quality, whatever. But if you want the full quality, you can pay for the premium package or Well, whatever. you know
1: it's going to go into the garbage when in a year from now, they bring back free nights and weekends. You know, we haven't seen those in a while. <laughs> and when your uh, ISP starts saying, yeah, you can watch everything you want, starting at 7 o'clock Friday and lasting until 5 o'clock Sunday. <laughs> wow,
0: that's like a walk down memory lane. That's exactly it. I remember it. like... Uh, uh, Misto,
1: we, oh, man, I remember the first Ericsson I had, just I couldn't wait till Friday night came because it was... Game on from there on out. Hopefully that's not what's going to happen with our ISPs yeah. and providing us content.
0: Yeah, and, and even the old dial-up services like AOL and Genie yes, and stuff, yeah. those guys, they, they would have these free weekends. You yep. could, it wouldn't count against your minute total, that kind of yep. stuff. Uh, yeah, it, it could get that way. Yeah. I, I like to think that it won't because it, it wasn't like that before these rules were put in place, sure. but 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 we'll see. It, definitely something to keep an eye on. I, I fully expect new laws will be put in place gotcha. uh, before too long. All right, let's get to something fun, because laws are boring, Wes. Um,
1: <laughs> You're boring me, Don. Let's
0: see. We talked about Linux stuff. We talked about uh, a few other things. Let's jump over to the Microsoft world. All right. All right. Um, a while back, and I can't remember exactly when, I think it was back in October, one of our crazy tech news of the week things was uh, about a problem with some of the Microsoft Surface Pro uh, tablet, laptop, Mm-hmm. Tablops, whatever. Yeah, there called. we go. Uh, just,
1: <laughs> just do what I do. Say le tablephone Then it takes care of every little device and, and you and it have. It sounds French, so people it does, assume it's right. uh, fancy.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, the the Microsoft Surface Pro for le tablophones, The, <laughs> the screens would start to flicker, and what we reported on was that I kind of found out if you stick the thing in the freezer. No. That, oh yeah, yeah. We, we actually played <laughs> the video. Um, that you stick in the freezer and uh, you let it. Freeze for not not long. I'm mean, really just like thirty seconds, and you take it back out, and all of a sudden the flicker was gone, and wow. it would work for a while. And if it started acting up again, you chuck it back in the freezer. Uh, it was a bizarre. Doesn't story. only
1: work for batteries. Apparently, it works for Surface Pros. Yeah,
0: it? yeah. And let me throw out a, a quick word of caution <laughs> here. Uh, as, Disclaimer. Uh, I think I mentioned this before. There is a ton of moisture and humidity in a freezer, even though most of it's in the form of ice. There's a ton of it. It is not a good idea to put electronic devices in the freezer. Uh, the guy in the video, he had used a, some kind of like bag. He put it in, but mm-hmm. but even then, like moisture can condensate on the inside as well. So not a, not a good idea. But Microsoft did acknowledge there was a problem, and they've been working to do a software fix for months. They keep pushing fix after fix, and they can't solve it. This week, they threw in the towel, and really? Microsoft said that's it. We can't fix it. So if you have a Surface Pro Four. With the flickering screen, even if you're out of warranty, Microsoft will now replace that screen for you. Uh, so they are taking care of it, which is good. It, it's yeah, a shame give, it took them
1: this long. Give a hats off to Microsoft. I mean, we pick on them a lot, too, when things go wrong. But, hey, you know, get a little credit when things go right. They're at least making good on, you know, the, the problem. Oh, oh if, there it is right there, too. If I
0: just scroll down on this article, this is on The oh, Verge. The power and the, Verge of the scroll with There's on. the guy. He's sticking it in his freezer. <laughs> and and no see the screen stopped flickering immediately. And yeah, he just he leaves it in there for a few moments, but uh, uh, you know it actually flickered a little bit right there as he jams it. In. But it's it's a crazy story. I do think it is a shame. Imagine Wes, that you spent you know fourteen hundred dollars on, oh, yeah. on one of these laptops, yeah. and it was your only computer. Yeah, and the screen starts flickering like that, and you have to run like that for six months. Mm-hmm. How, how long do you keep a computer? Three years? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, so we're IT guys. We right. you know, are usually on a, a shorter
1: scale. But sometimes um, you upgrade them, you know, with being IT guys, but But six months, this.
0: that's a huge percentage of the time you own that device. And mm-hmm. to have a crappy screen like that on um, what's
1: supposed to be a premium device?
0: Yeah. Uh, that's not.
1: Yeah. Uh, we had one of the, uh, a lady that works in another uh, company that, uh, in our building here, she had a Dell laptop and the Dell laptop started doing this crazy screen flicker too. And uh, it was, it was brand new. So for personal experience i know she hated it so i couldn't imagine somebody paying 1400 dollars for this it being their primary go-to and they can't use it i mean yeah yeah that that, that's pretty horrible
0: my uh my father-in-law had an xbox 360 that started doing the red ring of death oh no and uh you know where it flashes the red ring and it just won't boot and that's it and my brother-in-law had said well you know i can i can fix it for you and he said no you can't and and uh, my brother thought, well, why not? And he said, well, I got so mad I threw it in the pool. <laughs> so, so, you know, he just finally reached that point of rage and chucked it in the pool. But, you know, sometimes you can't fix things in software. Uh, at least uh, they are doing something about it. Yeah. So if you have a Surface Pro 4 and it's effective with the screen flicker, it's worth a call to Microsoft to see if you can get that fix. All right, more in Microsoft news. Okay. Uh, two weeks ago, I had to do a admission of fault on the podcast because one of my predictions was I didn't think Microsoft was going to put out another version of server. So a couple of weeks ago, we announced where Microsoft actually did say they yeah. are going to be releasing Windows Server 2019. The insider preview builds have started rolling out. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Wes, have you had a chance to mess with them? No, not, not the new server at all. So it, it's interesting, uh, and I'm actually starting to learn more as time goes on about how uh, things have kind of changed a little bit that we initially said that they were going to release it and it was going to be a server core install only. Oh, okay. So when you install Windows Server 2019, no you GUI, just nothing. get the the uh, uh, command line or, or power. It's, it's not PowerShell. It is just the command yeah, line. Yeah, it's command line, which uh, is interesting. And I'm going to say no GUI, but it actually is a GUI yeah. loaded. It's just all you have is a command prompt in yep. it. Uh, but it basically limited to core services install, which... Honestly, in this day and age, core services installs are all you should be doing. Now, that gave me a question, though, which is, what if I use terminal services or remote desktop services? Right. If you set up a terminal server, you need people to have a desktop, and a core services install doesn't give you that. So I didn't know if that was going to work in 2019 or not. Well, in the Windows Server 2019 Insider Preview Build 17666. Okay. So, uh, yeah. um, wow, it um, is the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> so, unfortunately, there is series of numbers there. <laughs> uh, but uh, with the current build, it has the desktop experience packaged into it, uh, as well as that server core install. Now, if they've packaged the desktop experience in it, that means that it basically supports GUI installs now. Yes, You um, can do
1: the server install and then come back and install the GUI management tools after, just like a traditional core install. If you I know, would that.
0: imagine, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's not proven yet. I sure. haven't seen that, uh, because in the past there were really three different modes. There was the core services mode, mm-hmm. there was the server with GUI mode, and then there was the desktop experience mode. Right. And desktop experience added a lot of extra software that you didn't normally want on a server. Right. Um, so desktop experience mode is not the same as this regular server GUI. We'll see how it all shapes And I know out.
1: you really don't like that because I've seen you build up in the past. You know, we've worked together for a while now. I've seen you uh, build up CentOS servers and you go the <laughs> minimalistic approach. And when I say that, I've seen this guy build a server that operates the whole thing in 200 megs of RAM. So you're a very minimalistic yeah. approach. Well, it, it, to me, it's about, uh, well, first
0: off, performance, yeah, right? Yeah. I don't want to waste resources on graphic effects and right. things like that. Uh, and then the second thing is about attack surface. True. The, yeah. the more stuff you run, the bigger an area that can be attacked. attack. Right. If I'm standing up a web server, I don't need Samba you know, or, or SMB. I, I don't need uh, anything like that. Sure. And unfortunately, Windows comes packed with that stuff. So core services installs at least get us a little bit closer. Very good. So uh, do remember that the Windows Insider previews are
1: free. Mm -hmm. So if
0: you are learning or just uh, interested in, in seeing the Windows Server 2019, you can sign up for the Insider program, download those ISOs, uh, if you're a Linux or Mac hardcore user and don't want to switch, that is perfectly fine. Fire them up in mm-hmm. a, a virtual machine. That's how I usually run them. And, uh, you know, you can get in there and mess around and experiment. It's a great way to learn.
1: Yeah, your test lab, you build you a little sandbox. And what, what's the worst thing happens, you know? You just you reset the sandbox, fill it with some new sand, and go ahead and just kind of... Um uh, get in there and don't be afraid to do what I do. I can break, I can break a network with the best of them, right? Uh, but I can also learn from that experience and help to try, you know, fix things. So it's nice to have a free lab environment like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm talking about Windows Server 2019 because that was the one I talked about. But, Wes, I know you were telling me earlier about Windows 10 as well, Yeah, right?
1: that's right. So uh, Windows 10, the uh, version 1803 came out, uh, and it's a little bit behind schedule. Uh, Well, because we know that uh, Microsoft for a while now has been on this Windows as a service, right? So they have a release in March and then they have a release in September, right? We can see that in the past, right? 1703, 1709. Uh, They were a little late on this one because it says 1803 and you would expect it to come out in March and they just pushed. For it to just be available in April. And it was literally April 30th that it went live. So uh it is a new thing. And it it brings in uh a, a lot of new features, things like timeline, nearby sharing, uh things like uh improvements in the settings app. Uh and the settings app, for those of you that maybe are not familiar with it, right? Uh Microsoft in Windows 10 is supporting two interfaces to work with your computer and configure it, right? We got the traditional control panel, and then we got the new Windows settings space there. And it's a little lunky, right? And uh, as uh, I know, like Mike and Cherokee, our other hosts are big in Windows 10, and you can just hear, where do I find this setting and where do I find that setting? So they've kind of improved that as well. Um, What else, too? Things like Edge, they're trying to improve. One of the things I really like about the new Windows 10 uh, security stance is that Windows Defender Security Center. They've really packed in a lot of stuff. And honestly, a lot of that stuff's already been there, but it's been transparent to the user, and we don't really control it now. They're kind of leveraging it. But then again, there are some not so good things. And that's kind of where we're at here with this one right here.
0: You know, before we jump into these uh, biggest problems and complaints part, let me, I want to get your opinion on something, Wes. You mentioned Windows Defender. Mm-hmm. And ha- how do you feel about Windows Defender? Like, do you rely on that as your, your uh, host-based intrusion prevention? Or do you use a, a different product on top of that? All
1: right. So Symantec, Kaspersky, all of them, they're not going to like me when I say this. I use Windows Defender strictly. I, I, I do, but then again, I also make sure that I run scans on a regular basis, and um, uh, I've always found that I combine things like uh, Windows 10 uh, window, or Windows Defender with, uh, things like, uh, uh, MRT. And if you're not aware of like the MRT, right, that's the, uh, malicious software removal toolkit. And honestly, I find that it does really well. They're doing really good with giving you more control over things like app guard and being able to lock and, uh, you know, really just quarantine portions of memory. So it, uh, you know, exploitive code can't get out of those uh, pieces of memory. And we've seen this, this is, again, this isn't new technology. It's just the fact that it's no, some of it's no longer transparent, while some of it might be, uh, uh, new to Windows 10, you know, Application Guard is just doing things like randomized memory locations and stuff, and they've really leveraged control over it. So to get back to your uh, question, um, I have had no problems with Windows Defender, and it has worked uh, amazing. The only time I ever had a problem with Windows Defender is when somebody got it on their computer and they were trying to sell it to them. <laughs> uh, but then we, we knew something was wrong with that uh, version of Windows Defender. <laughs>
0: All right, well, let's get back to the Windows Central article. Uh, right. So what Windows Central did is they they kind of did a survey, and they tried to put together what the top update problems and mm-hmm. complaints were. And if you've listened to the podcast over the last few months, I know Peter and I have been making fun of the macOS High Sierra update mm-hmm. because of the numerous problems that are out there. Uh, Windows is no exception. So we've got a handful of those. For example, installation problems. That's right.
1: Yeah. Um, now, with the insta- uh, the installation problems, um, this is kind of isolated, and they make mention in this article. So uh, I don't want some people to go, oh, my God, I shouldn't install this. Um, it's really limited uh, to Alienware uh, devices. For some reason, they're having some issues, and they they even make mention of the models. And you can see some of the models in the article. But uh, some of the other incompatibility issues are the uh, Intel Toshiba SSD. So it's very, very specific problems to very specific Uh, uh, vendors and and products.
0: Yeah, now the the SSD one, that was a big deal Mm because they started pushing the update and then they actually had to make a change on their side to, to do a check. And if you have an Intel SSD or a Toshiba, then they actually stopped the update going to your machine. And to my knowledge, Microsoft hasn't, they haven't Reactivated yeah, it yet? Have it, they? It was? I
1: think they have just acknowledged it, and it's kind of like one of the things maybe with the Surface Pro where they're working on it, but maybe yeah, they don't they have an fix active it. fix right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the other things too: app freezing problems. A lot of you'll see, and th- this seems to be with the apps freezing. It seems to be uh, browser based. Uh, you'll see Chrome in there. You'll see Firefox. Uh, Mozilla's Firefox is in there, uh, and um, uh, Don's favorite uh, software there, Slack, is in there. It has uh, been. Um, it's been having some issues. Uh, in-house apps uh, that are having some problems too. So it's not just third-party stuff. In-house apps like Cortana uh, has, uh, have been having issues. Uh, me personally, I think she's had issues since she's been put in the operating system, but uh, <laughs> apparently those issues aren't going away. Uh, and other in-house things uh, that i uh, have been having some problems, too, uh, the Windows Store apps, not being able to download and install them. So it's not just the third-party things that we see. You know, we say, oh, well, it must be a problem with Chrome, or maybe it's a problem with Mozilla. Well, not really. It's down there somewhere in the operating system because some of the stuff that they have baked right into the operating system is also seeing uh, problematic issues. If
0: you yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of these a lot of these problems are, are pretty typical with the release mm-hmm. of a new OS, especially when you have diverse hardware that's out there. So as with any major update, if you're deploying this in your business, you may want to sit tight a little bit, make sure everything shakes out. Definitely test out on a small number of machines before deploying out to your entire company. If you are a home user, by and large, it's it's not a big deal. You can deploy and and things go pretty smooth
1: absolutely there's one thing that I would like to mention and I want our viewers to be aware of um, they talk about uh, setting issues right uh, so you know we talk especially in enterprise uh, um, um, realm that when you have like app, uh, um, operating system migrations and stuff you really want to can uh, some people want to keep system configuration and user state you know that how do the users have their operating systems configured and it's losing things like that where for some reason some people will disable fast startup and after the upgrade, it re-enables it. Uh, things like um, uh, microphone and camera issues, not apps not being able to access um, speakers, being you know your sound card. Uh, maybe you have multiple sound source, sound card sources, right? And you disable one, and it'll turn them all on now. I don't know, Don, honestly, how much of this is related to when you do your upgrade, are you paying attention to keeping your files and settings? Are you starting from a clean install? Because we're, you know, when we do our upgrades, they can also become PC refreshes if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention, we just kind of click through. So just make sure that if you're doing this, you know, if you get to a point in your upgrade screen where it says, hey, do you want to keep your files and settings? Make sure that you're choosing the right one, because in honesty, that might just be one of those Jimity Click It's things where we kind of just clicked on through.
0: All right. Well, I think that's a good wrap-up for Microsoft news. Let's jump over to security. And right. again, shockingly, there just wasn't an outrageous amount of security news this week. So that's a that's a good sign. No major breaches that I'm aware of this week. Uh, but there was a pretty good hubbub about uh, secure email, right? Encrypted mm-hmm. email. If you are leveraging PGP, which is pretty good privacy, or GPG, the GNU privacy guard— or if you're using S-MIME. So pretty much all well, the major all ways. all encrypted email. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're using encrypted email, researchers have discovered two different attacks, technically three different attacks, that they can use to exfiltrate the plain text data of that email, even if it's encrypted. Now, if it's a digitally signed email, the digital signatures are still protected. You can still validate the authenticity of the email. But if it is encrypted as well... They actually do have a way to get at that information. It's not the most graceful of attacks. It actually requires a good bit of man in the middle work. So okay. they have to be able to inject themselves into your network. But basically, it is a pretty flawless way for you to it be a able key jump in.
1: grab or a key strip or something like that? So- that's what I thought first mm-hmm.
0: off, right? When people started talking about the exploit, so then I yep. had to go and read on it. And uh, the article that I'm linking to here is, is from Motherboard. Okay, they do a pretty good write up here for uh, for normal people, but they don't really go into the details. I mean, they actually show a video, but um, but the best place is uh, from the EFF. They put okay. up a they they did a whole website dedicated to this. It's efail.de uh, nice. So e f a i l . d e and if you go to efail d, uh, which I guess would be German. Okay. All right. Well, anyhow, <laughs> uh, if you go here, they actually give a big walkthrough on all three of the types of attacks. Although they just label it as two attacks, they group the other two together. Um, but the simplest form works on a really simple idea. It says, "Look, if you get an encrypted email." Mm-hmm. right? Well, let's say I'm going to send Wes an encrypted mm-hmm. email. So I write my email up, I put all my deep, dark secrets in there, and then I, you know, pipe it into to PGP, right? Mm-hmm. So it gets encrypted or encrypted. Okay. And yeah. then I stuff that in an email. Well, it's just a regular old email. It's got a regular header at the top. It's got a regular footer. If I chose to have one down at the bottom, mm-hmm. it just happens to have all this encrypted junk in the middle of it. Okay. That just looks like ciphertext. And I send the email to Wes. Now, anybody in the planet, can intercept that email, and the header can be read, and the footer can all be read in plain text. No, no crazy hacker skills needed there. The ciphertext in the middle, well, it's ciphertext. They can't decrypt that. They would sure. have to have Wes's private key in order to decrypt that data. Mm-hmm. So that's safe even if somebody intercepts it. Well, what the attackers or the researchers found Mm -hmm. is that they could take the email and modify it, and they do a great job of showing that here on eFail.de. So basically, they've got an email, and here's the header. This is the stuff that's in plain text. You have to have who it's from and who it's to and the subject line, like that kind of stuff. Uh, Oh, I guess subject line can be encrypted, but normally this is going to be stuff that is is plain text, Mm -hmm. right? And then... You get into the actual body of the message now the body of the message is typically going to be this ciphertext it's going to be a wall just tons of thousands of of letters and numbers capital and lowercase and all that just a, a giant encrypted mess but what they found was that they could stick at the very beginning in the unencrypted part the beginning part of an image tag so okay. this is HTML, Hypertext yep. Markup Language. They open up that bracket with IMG. Specify the source. And the source is a server they control. Okay. Right? And so in this case, they're pointing it to eFail.de. But you point it to a server that you control, and then you don't close the tag. Right? Oh. So that cl- that tag is left open. Okay. What follows is all the encrypted mess. And at the end of the encrypted data, they close that tag. Well, what happens is a lot of email clients, and this would be Mozilla Thunderbird, Apple Mail, uh, Microsoft Outlook was not in the list, okay. but a, a number of email clients will receive the email and they will apply PGP or G, uh, GPG or S-MIME to mm-hmm. decrypt the contents first. Then they'll view the HTML and render that as active content, You know, like loading an image sure. and a signature or whatever. When they do that, it's going to send a message out to that attacker's server. And in the URL will be image source, blah, 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 followed by all of the encrypted text that's now plain text. It's been wow. decrypted, it gets sent to their server, and it's now in their server logs and they can read it at their leisure.
1: That's right? pretty creative.
0: So it is creative. It's, and scary. It's it's not a flaw in the encryption protocol, right? You know, the, the, they're not able to break the encrypted data. They're just waiting for you to decrypt it first and then you're rocketing out that connection to the other side, and and you, you've effectively given up your data, right? That's a problem with the email client. Okay, the clients shouldn't be shouldn't be doing that. And years ago, Microsoft made a big deal out about not loading images and stuff by default. You have to choose to download it that you trust the sender or whatever okay, before yeah, load. Okay, yep. But trusting a sender anybody can forge who the sender is. Sure. And so, you know, you could be doing this automatically opening up images or, or image tags. I mean, isn't
1: that the basis of all great phishing scams? Yeah. Yeah. You I mean, know. it really is. Sure.
0: So so that's pretty low-key. There is a second form of this that actually does abuse the, the way the protocol works. It's called a gadget attack, which is far more sophisticated uh, where they're able to basically just start spamming zeros at the, uh, at the, the header. Uh, and then insert uh, still inserting that image tag in there. It's basically the same type of attack just applied a slightly different way and that's all going to result in you basically exfiltrating your own data like after you decrypt it you are sending it to the server log somewhere
1: so it looks so. like they're using like the cypher frame block mode of operation they're manipulating wow that's, that's sort of insane. yeah, it, yeah. It, it's
0: a little different because instead of at the packet level they're doing it at the email level but it's just the same idea mm. So it, it's really cool. If if you want to learn more about it, go to efail.de. You can read their write-up on it. It's it's really cool stuff. Um, well, anyway, it's not cool if it gets used against you, <laughs> but it's really cool to learn how how it's done and, and kind of see the logic behind it. Uh, the email clients that are mentioned in the article, they're all being patched right now to take into account for this, but it does show one of the big weaknesses with in- encrypted data that it's easy for you to inadvertently send this data out once you've decrypted it. You know, you always have data in motion and data at rest, and you'd think that secure email would protect you at both, in motion and at rest, but the moment you decrypt it to view it, you've now removed all of those protections. So that's why in-memory attacks and, and attacks like these are really important to be aware of. All right, uh, that is literally the only security <laughs> article that I had for the week that I at least thought was significant enough to talk Very about. Very
1: anticlimactic this week, right? I know.
0: <laughs> so let's, uh, let's jump into your neck of the woods, Wes. I, I know we had you on the show a yeah. few weeks ago to talk about the new Intel CPUs. Yeah, the, uh, I
1: think it was the uh, the i9 series and uh, the, ooh, what is good about that? It was a tube bigger than the i7. Yeah, exactly, and in the end we found out you can stick with an i7. It's more of a status symbol, <laughs> at least at the desktop level.
0: Yeah, and and one of the big things that they were promoting was that these were going to be smaller, potentially smaller, mm-hmm. like ten uh, is it nanometer, ten nanometer, uh, process, 10 nanometer yeah. processors, and that uh, the smaller a processor is usually the more efficient, like mm-hmm. energy efficient it is. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the big push behind these. Well, they announce stuff like this all the time. It yep. just takes a long time to make it to market. But now we're starting to see articles. That's right. They are making it to market, right?
1: They are. And if you've been following, you know, the whole Moore's Law type thing and Intel's TikTok approach, you know, this is just another one of those ones that's been a little bit behind. You know, they've they've process you know, they promised it at a certain time. If we go back yeah, just to go back a little bit. I mean, we go all the way back to Sandy Bridge, but I know we keep it a little bit shorter here. The, you know, Broadwell, right? That's 14 nanometers. It was delayed. Well, Haswell, Haswell was delayed. Uh, Broadwell was delayed. Skylake, Kaby Lake were on time. Canon Lake was another one that they announced it, and they released it finally two years after the initial release. So uh, it is out there, um, and it, it is one of those ones that uh, we are just starting to see it, uh, But and it's a dual-core. Uh, again, it's a four-thread CPU, and it's got a base clock of 2.2 gigahertz. Uh, but stacked side-by-side to some of the earlier processes, uh, it doesn't really make sense to, as to why I would want to just run out and buy this thing, you know, other than status quo.
0: Yep. So the, the article I was showing a moment ago was from uh, Engadget. Engadget, we were talking yeah. About a it's a great release. article. But Antech uh, has where you can actually buy these laptops now. So there's a, a Lenovo laptop, uh, Lenovo IdeaPad 330, mm-hmm. Which is priced just
1: at four hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, and it's, and it's not here in the states yet. Let, let's be clear on that one. This one was it, uh-huh. we're first seeing it on the Chinese market there, and we should see it hopefully. Uh, well, I say hopefully if you actually want to purchase it. If you don't, then it doesn't really matter. But uh, we we should see it coming out here in the states very soon. So we're yep. just now starting to see it.
0: And so on an Antex announcement, they have the the specs mm-hmm. for it listed, and they they seem pretty impressive. But you mentioned something to me before the show, and I want to I want to highlight it here in the podcast. If you stack it side by side against right. the previous generation of processor, we see something kind of interesting. So um, And we sent both me... found
1: stuff too, because you found something with the yeah. diameter of the 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 package.
0: Wes sent me uh, sent me this, which which is on the Intel architecture site. So this is straight from Intel mm-hmm. and they are stacking the latest i3 eighty one twenty one U processor. Which is a 10 nanometer. So mm-hmm. it's showing it's at the new 10, 10 nanometer. 10 nanometer, uh, yeah. And comparing it against the i three eighty one thirty u so the mm-hmm. previous version, which is 14 nanometer. Yep. And so, you know, immediately, what's better about this new one? Well, obviously, it is 4 nanometers smaller. It right? is. It is. Uh, <laughs> that that <laughs> so. makes
1: a lot of difference. It just not, doesn't relate to spec difference. <laughs> and And that really shows up, because once you start scrolling down and looking at the comparison,
0: these things... Are near identical and in some places actually worse. So, like the max turbo, the turbo frequency, frequency,
1: that's what I've seen. <laughs> it goes down, yeah,
0: down from 3.4 down to 3.2 gigahertz. So, it actually reduced, but on a lot of it, it is the same. Uh, you know, you really don't see a whole lot of variation now. Intel hasn't fully populated. That's the right, yet. and you
1: you made mention of that. You know, because I was like <laughs> one of the art, they, in the Engadget article, they make a they make a funny comment, and they've seen this before, so they already know. I didn't know. You told me is like don't just assume a specification because a box is blank. It might yeah. be the fact that they just haven't released the information. Because I was thinking, well, God, they didn't even have, somebody was uh, maybe they filled this chart out on Friday at about four thirty before they <laughs> left. You know, because some of the specs are still empty.
0: Yeah, but uh, there are some areas where there's some improvement. Um, I did find it interesting, max memory size on both is still 32 gigs. You know, I haven't really cranked up there. But on the max memory bandwidth, that's gone up a bit from 34 gigabytes per second up to 41, almost 42 gigabytes per second. So good jump
1: there. And memory support, if you look at the blue area in there, the memory support is, uh, you know, a higher speed with the, uh, it's supporting uh, DDR4 versus DDR3, uh, which we know DDR4 is going to be uh, just more, uh, lower power, right? And it's a mobile yeah. platform. Well, no, they,
0: they, they both support DDR4 this is the LP DDR4 oh that's right that's there. right the low, the low power DDR4
1: thing. and that that was the, that was it is the fact that it's lower power consumption which right. is what we want
0: yeah and, and I think that's why we're seeing these into the cheaper laptops mm-hmm. because well you need reduced power to drag that battery life out and then you'll see that pop up more
1: yeah but man can you imagine the marketing staff how, how hard yeah, of a time they had at- Hey we made a processor it's brand new and it's slower but you know they i'm sure they've got reasons they, they they've been in the business now 50 years you know they know what the heck they're doing so um yeah it it, it is interesting and it'd be interesting to see now they had uh, if we scroll down to like for instance or maybe up I'm not sure where we are uh, processor graphics here uh, we don't know about the integrated graphics because, like you had mentioned, they haven't filled it out. So let's not assume here. But you know, they've been doing this thing where they've actually taken uh, the Radeon chipset and kind of integrated a- AMD, right? ATI, whatever you want to say, AMD, and integrated that into the Intel, uh, you know, CPU here. So we don't see any specs right here. But I, I can only imagine if since it's a mobile platform, we're going to see the integrated GPU. They just haven't filled it.
0: Well, and and I'm assuming too. And, and let me let me tell you the little hints that I. Can- Kind of see. Uh, One of them is the increased PCI Express lanes. Yes. Right. So we go from twelve express lanes to to sixteen, four extra express lanes. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're adding more PCI Express ports into a laptop, right? So so what's consuming these? I've got to imagine it's discrete graphics, uh, or it wouldn't be discrete at that point, would it? If it's integrated. Well, this is a mobile line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So you can see that they're probably gearing this towards gamers, hence the integrated graphics.
0: Uh, and then the other thing, where was it on here, was that the, uh, the package size is bigger. Yeah. And you mentioned that a moment ago. Um, I jokingly said, why is the 10 nanometer better than the 14 nanometer? It's that it's smaller, right? right? But if you find the actual dimensions of this thing, which I am unable to find now, you'll see where <laughs> the, the physical dimensions of the, the chip package have actually gotten larger. Uh, here it is. Uh, from 42 millimeters up to 45 millimeters for that package size. So yeah. That also makes me think that we're going to see those Radeon graphics pop in because you
1: know, they more space. something sure. has to occupy that extra sure. space, right? Yeah, absolutely. And when you reduce that size, uh, the, the joke on the in-gadget site was maybe they haven't figured out how to make the GPU small enough to fit on the smaller 10-nanometer package yet, but you, when you caught that, it does make sense. We've got yeah. more, we still got plenty of real estate. I say we like I own it, but they've got plenty of real estate on the base of the die, you know. Uh, so maybe they can now watch
0: we, when we get our hands on our first one. It'll have a three na- millimeter bar with just the Intel logo on it on the side. <laughs> That's it. That'd just be just great. marketing. So we'll we'll see where that one ends up. But uh, you know this is is one more in a long line of chips that have come from uh, Intel. And uh, you know, Wes, you had shown me this when we were talking before the show, which was Intel's kind of timeline yeah. of chips. And you can kind of see how over the years it's gotten progressively smaller and smaller and smaller while also getting progressively more and more complex until we get to where we are today this is a massive chart
1: it it really is and there's a downloadable pdf if you want now see i'm before i ever got into computing i was a massive history buff i just always like history and now that you know i've been in computing now i like to blend the two i like computer history so it's really interesting to see uh, you uh, if you look uh, down at the actual specifications there there's the 1971 processor and i can't remember that was at 8080 something right maybe i don't know we could scroll down and they tell you exactly what the name of that processor is oh 404 uh so if you look uh, the manufacturer the transistors on that 2300 transistors take a guess as to what 2012 if we scroll sideways It's in the millions right uh, yeah it's pretty impressive um, oh, it's going to be more than millions, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. 1.4 billion. 1.4 billion. billion. So, uh, yeah, things have gotten smaller. And, well, you guys know out there, the, the smaller, the more stuff we could put on there and the Closer we can get it together, just like we teach in some of our A-plus classes, when you got a highway that gets shorter, it takes less time to get from point A to point B. And this timeline ends six years ago. That's right. right? And and that is the other thing that I should mention. You won't see any of the—and let me uh, come back uh, for some of my dates, right? You're not going to see the Haswell on there, Broadwell, Skylake, KB Lake, Cannon Lake, because all of those are after the 2012. But the thought that they could fit 1.4 billion of
0: anything in a 22 nanometer package—that they could even count that—yeah, this is pretty impressive. <laughs> it is uh, versus you know that 2300 you were talking about earlier, uh, which yeah, actually it wasn't even measured in nano, uh, nanometer. You know, I keep saying nanometers. It nanometers? What? Did, did yeah, it's, it's
1: nanometers. nanometers yeah, it is nanometer. one billionth of okay. a meter. Right. Same thing uh, for fiber optics, scores. Okay, all right.
0: All right, well, that's it on the Intel side and all we've got there. Now, we've covered all the major vendors at this point. We did Microsoft. We did uh, a little bit of networking. Mm -hmm. We talked about uh, cloud a little bit, and we've kind of been across the board. Uh, We talked about Apple. We haven't actually... No, we didn't talk about Apple, did we? That's no, funny, we, um, we have they kind
1: of Apple. been a snooze fest this week. We haven't really found something. And you usually find something on, you know, uh, Apple Rumors or something like that. And I, I haven't really seen anything out there. So
0: my guess is, uh, well, there have been a few things floating around. They've got some new betas that are out, like a sixth round of betas for macOS oh. 10.14. They really like uh, that fish. And uh, iOS update coming out. But all that's kind of uh, in a weird holding pattern. Uh, I suspect because we've got WWDC, the Worldwide Developer sure. Conference, coming up. Maybe they're
1: hush-hush. And... Yep.
0: and it is June 4th, June 4th through 8th. Right. So we are just a hair under two weeks out or over two weeks my out calendar. Um, for that one. And they always do their big software announcements there. So things are probably going to go pretty quiet with Apple. People speculate on what's coming up. Um, maybe we'll see iOS apps running on macOS coming. Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, who, maybe we'll see higher
1: Sierra. Higher, you know, you got Sierra, high Sierra, and then we'll have higher Sierra. I don't know.
0: I, you he, know the damn Yankees song, "Can you take me high enough?" That just popped into my head. Like sorry, Apple man. should license
1: that. You're welcome. And, uh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: all right. Well, uh, so not much to report on the Apple front, uh, which is is good and bad, right? No major security concerns in the yeah, last. week. we got hardware
1: so. in there talking about Intel as well. So, yeah. all right. All right, well, Wes, I think that is a pretty good run through of the
0: various news it's articles. It's been fun, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, even it's a little, little less on the you know the news side. It's still fun nonetheless. And when you t- start talking hardware, I'm like, I-, I have a squirrel moment. We're talking hardware. Let's get yeah, into it.
0: a lot of fun stuff. That's
1: right. That's right. So thanks for having me. All right,
0: well, ladies and gentlemen, I do hope you guys enjoyed it. But this is going to wrap up this week's episode of Tech NATO, the IT podcast brought to you by IT Pro TV. Uh, thank you guys for watching. And if you liked the podcast and you want more, be sure to like or friend us or favorite us or
1: tweeter rate.
0: Yeah. Check us out on MySpace, on whatever it is that you do. Uh, we to... better
1: get out of here before we start showing our age. I know. you Fire up
0: Find me on Friendster. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, anyhow, be sure to, to like us and friend us and, and rate us, review us, uh, and share it with your friends. You know, we want to get the yeah, word definitely. out and, and kind of share technology with everyone we know. All right, Wes, thank you again for oh, jumping definitely. in on the show. It's been fun. Kind of last-minute notice for you. but you Yeah, did well. no,
1: I love it. Anytime.
0: And for you guys out there in TV land, thank you for watching, and we'll see you back next week on TechNado.